Ciao amici. Welcome back to Kimberly's Italy. I'm Kimberly Holcomb and I'm here with Tommaso, who is not only my podcast producer and partner in life tonight, he's our wine sommelier. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're standing in the podcast studio opposite each other. Hold on. And he's about to open a bottle of Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. Uh Uh-huh. Aspetta. <laughs> ah, finalmente. <laughs> now, a glass for you and a glass for me, please. Si, certo. Un attimo. Oh, yeah. My favorite sound. You gotta let this breathe for a little bit. We can't just plow it back. Plow it back. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Well, we will let it breathe, but. Chin chin, Tommaso. Chin dear. To our eleventh, eleventh episode. Yes, that's correct. Amazing. Yeah, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, who's out there listening, because we've had several thousand downloads now. Uh, Forty-four states. There are some states that don't like us, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, sixteen countries. How's that? How's that for a good start? That's cool. And what's fun is when we look at the analytics. We have friends all over the world from mostly Tom Sailing and also my friends that I met in my years in Italy. But not that many friends. I mean, to, to account for all those downloads. No, no, no. What I mean is when we see the little spot down in Auckland, we know it's Julie. Oh. When we see Palma, we know it's Clive and Alice. Yes. When we see Ham Humble, how do you say it, where Kate and Mucky live? Uh we know you're there, Kate and Monkey. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so it's been really fun to see our friends from all over the world. And those of you who are sharing this podcast with your friends, grazie mille. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay. Before we get into parte due, uh, part two of Firenze, I just want to mention that we got about a half a dozen emails after our first episode on Firenze because we mentioned that traveling off season to this amazing city is a very good idea. And we also mentioned that our friends that live there told us that December was their absolute favorite month, tourist-free, all decorated for the holidays, just their favorite time of year there. So the emails we got were inquiring about whether we are going to be there ourselves, and if so, could they tag along? Because as one person mentioned, they read on my website that I do escort groups of friends or groups of family that request it. I like doing it. And so they asked us that if we by chance would be there. And so we think it's a brilliant idea. Absolutely. Right? (laughs) December. So picture this, all decorated for Christmas and everyone's in a good mood. There's no tourists. It's not too cold. It's not snowing. It's not raining. It's not hot, but it's nice weather. Does that interest you? Yeah, there, if, won't, there, won't if, be, there won't be many tour guides running around holding up a sign. No, no, <laughs> no. So if that interests you, spontaneity is a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. We're here at the beginning of August, a couple months away, but I think it's a brilliant idea. And I think we could take um, six or seven people additional to us yep. and cruise around Firenze and maybe a day trip here or there to 
San Gimignano, Montepulciano, Montalcino, Bologna. Who knows? Maybe we stay two weeks. Maybe we do two groups, one week each. Well, it'd be nice to go from, say, Florence and then go up to Bologna. See? Uh, and because... Speaking of food. Speaking of food. <laughs> that's where All I, Italians do acknowledge that Bologna is, or that it's the best food in the world. That's just an idea. Throwing it out there. If this uh, tweaks your interest, get in touch. Yeah. Drop Kim a, an email at Kim at Kimberly'sItaly.com. Okay. Let's talk Cucina Italiana, the Italian cuisine of Firenze. And I don't know who said it, but somebody said, I read it somewhere and I wish I wrote it down. It's like probably late night, but sampling Italian food is like sightseeing for your palate. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Was it an Italian that said it? Probably not. I don't know. I don't, I don't I remember. I just, I wrote it. I don't, I, I can't well, you, cite who said it. At least you remembered it. Yeah. So that's good. Okay, so for those of you that have never been to Italy, I'm sure at least you've eaten in an Italian restaurant. So you know the basic courses, but here they are in Italy. Antipasto, a primo, which is normally a pasta or a risotto, a starchy type deliciousness. A secondo, which is your protein, meat or fish. A contorno, which is a side vegetable and dolce. You know, like tiramisu. Like tiramisu. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> anyway, those are your basic courses. It's a lot of food, but they have very small servings. It's never crazy amounts. And you, there's rules. There's rules to the road in Italy when it comes to everything that deals with food, wine, and coffee. Okay. Yes. They will give you some serious oh, side yes. eye. Oh, yes. We did tell you about in Milano, Tom ordered two uh, cappuccinos right in a row after noon. It was surprised we weren't arrested. <laughs> but anyway, there's rules to everything. So when you sit down at an Italian restaurant, they don't bring you bread for you to start eating. Bread is put on the table when you get your primo, and then it's used. They only scoop up the sauce. It's called fare la scarpetta, which means use it like a little shoe or a little broom to soak up the sauce. That is what bread is for. You're not putting butter on the bread and exactly, stuffing the whole basket. Exactly. And the whole olive oil thing, dipping bread in olive oil and pepper, that kind of Italo-American concept. So you don't get bread when you first sit down, nor do you get the wine until you're primo. You can have an aperitivo cocktail or whatever or water, but you should not drink your wine until your pasta. Lots of rules to the road here. Okay. And after your dinner, when you have your dolce, you can have an espresso. That's it. No cappuccino, no cafe au lait. Oh, that's French. Cafe latte, because that has milk in it. There's rules and you need to know them. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite, Tom, your typical menu? Well, you know, I'm a carnivore, dear. And if I had to sort of pick one thing, it would be bisteca. A la Flor Florentina. Bisteca a la Florentina. Fiorentina. Which is close. You got really close. Very good. Okay, we're trying. Because it. here's the difference. Yes. Fiorentina mm. is referring to a thing like your bisteca, the beef, the mm. Florentine beef. You eliminate the L in some parts and you put it back in for others. So for now, bisteca a la Fiorentina. Okay. 
Bravo. Okay, we'll try hard. He's learning. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> anyway, let's look at a medium to high-end restaurant to start with in terms of what you might pay and what you might get for that euro there. Because again, you've got multiple things to choose from and you can easily overorder and uh, you can easily underorder because as Kim mentioned, the portions aren't that big. Anywhere from 10 euros to 25 euros are the antipasti, uh, the um, appetizer course. And basically, I'm going to describe a few. So you've got uh, mozzarella cheese tasting, and that would be three types of mozzarella. Mozzarella di bufala, burrata, and stracciatella, served with some greens and cherry tomatoes, and I just bastardized no, that. You did pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Again, every vowel is long, so instead of mozzarella, it's mozzarella. And I have so many vowels in my last name, <laughs> I should be good at this. You're getting there, you're getting there. Okay, anyway, so that's that's one type of appetizer. And, you know, don't think that Kim talked about the portions, but you're going to have potentially three, I would have three courses. So you might want to split that appetizer. There's a standard, you know, bruschetta, which is wonderful chopped tomatoes from Tuscany with olive oil and on toasted bread, maybe some basil and some a little bit of rubbed garlic on it. That's absolutely fantastic. And there's another one that I looked at one menu from a restaurant a couple of weeks ago as Kim was talking about going over there. It was La Bouquetta. Which and was, funny, I don't know that, La Bouquetta. La Bouquetta, this specific restaurant. Okay. And it was meats, which would be a broad spectrum of meats. Kind of cured, yes. aged meats. Cured meats, right. Um, like brasala, prosciutto. Yes. Okay. Correct. Um, aged cheeses, and we'd have a homemade marmalade and potential some, some honey on that, and a bowl of stracciatella. Bravo. Bravo. That was well, oh. well pronounced. Oh, <laughs> That bowl of stracciatella and some Bravo. vegetables. So, but that that's would be a, that's a big appetizer. It is, but okay. the, it, right on the menu, it was this is for a minimum of two people. And there's other things. You move to the the um, primo, which would be the pasta. So there's a broad range of pastas you can have, but I they're th endless. They're endless. But I think the thing you're going to find in Florence, as we found in the past, and as Kimberly's found there recently, is Fresh ingredients, local Especially ingredients. Especially in Firenze. Everything is fresh. Everything is local. And here's the key to La Cucina Italiana in Firenze is that they only uh, spice if needed. They only add something if needed. Their whole shtick is the freshest vegetables, minimal sauce, minimal everything. It's all about local ingredients fresh that they want you to taste that tomato or that olive. So it is a pared down cuisine for sure. So be careful with that appetizer and that primo, because if you're going to order the, the piece de resistance <laughs> of Tuscany, right? Oh, he's so and, multilingual now. Uh, I didn't know how to say in Italian, in you know, not in Italian. Sorry. Go ahead. Tell them what Florence is best known for. It's best known for its beef, right? And mm -hmm. that beef, we're talking about the Bisteca alla Fiorentina. Bravo! Which we I talked about before. And it's the most expensive cattle, and it comes from these white cattle. I'm not quite sure how that's pronounced either. Chianina. Chianina. See, that's what I'd say, and that would be right. 
Right. Anyway, it's this, as you drive around Tuscany, as we have. They're these, white. They're white. I know that. You're seeing these white cattle. Right. And I'm from the Midwest. Don't forget, we didn't have white cattle. No. In the Midwest. No. So I think it's called Kianina, pronounced Kianina. Yep. And the thing is about this Florentine steak, it's a minimum size of a kilo. And oh, you mean that's the minimum you can order? That's, that's and, a, and a kilo is what two two point two pounds? That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, for one person. Well, let me go through this, right? Okay. So anyway, what you get with that is roughly two point two pounds of meat, obviously, and some bone, obviously, because it's got a big bone in the middle of it. This is aged, aged for a minimum of four weeks, and how they price it is by the hundred grams, right? So. Hold on for a little math here. 2.2 kilos is roughly 2,200 grams. They price it by the 100 grams, so that's 22 hectograms, uh, either one. And basically, it's about six euros. So that steak is going to cost somewhere around 140 to $150, depending on the euro-dollar exchange rate at the time. So that steak is not for one it's for okay, two point two pound steak is for what three or four people? No. Well, how many? Well, two. Well, that's a quite expensive, but it, it is their speciality, Thank I you. guess. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. What do you mm. pay at Smith and Walensky or something else for very a great true. piece of beef? Right? Very true. Right. You pay well, for- I remember the first time I went to a outdoor market in Milano when I lived there, and things were weighed in grams, and I just, you know had no concept what a gram was and you had to ask for x amount of grams for your you know zucchini flour i was like well i don't know (laughs) but then again i i'm really scared of numbers so i'm i'm the uh what am i the left brain or the right brain i'm the creative side numbers just frighten me so all of this that you just said i'm kind of like all i know was we're having a conversation over coffee about recording this episode you're like (laughs) Do not, do not go into those numbers. Don't go into that. Don't go into that. It put me to sleep. I said, yes, I have to go into the numbers. The numbers are important. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm hungry. I'm saved my nickels. And you know what else Tom told me? Tomaso, you told me the other day mm. when we were talking about this and kilogram, 2.2 pound steak, mm. mm-hmm. you said, all you have to do is hashtag Bisteca a la Fiorentina. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, all those of you who are on Instagram, which is probably a hundred and percent of you. Uh, there, there's there's a hashtag on Instagram, the hashtag Bisteca alla Fiorentina, and it's all together. There's a couple different ones, but get that hashtag because you're don't get it. Look for well, it. Yeah, and get your taste buds. Going. Get your taste buds going. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Okay. Okay. So let me just say, if you're when you're in Tuscany or Florence, and if a dish on the menu ends with the name Alla Toscana or Alla Fiorentina. That means it's cooked in the typical Tuscan or Florentine style. And it usually highlights the local vegetables. So that's what I meant about fresh local cuisine, fresh local fruits, vegetables, meat, etc. So Alla Fiorentina or Alla Toscana. It's all fresh, minimal sauces, etc. And just like in the United States, obviously everywhere in the world, the restaurant competition is fierce, and it's very easy to find great Tuscan food at reasonable prices, even in the most touristy sections, uh, but you've got to look. So if you don't want to eat out in Tuscany, uh, you can go to 
The Mercato Centrale. Mercato. Mercato. Mercato Centrale. <laughs> Mercado Central. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, it's the central market. But you know what it is? Well, besides amazing, it's like all the open markets in south of France. They're all over Europe. But you can go for lunch. You can just walk around and just go crazy and think of anything and everything you can eat. They have places to actually sit up upstairs to eat. These Mercato Centrale are for the locals and the tourists have latched onto them because it is so foreign to us Americans. We don't have anything like that, except maybe in like Seattle and Portland, they have picked up this concept. Lucky them. But well, in New York, what? What's in New York? Chelsea Market. Yeah, those are individual businesses, though. But, Chelsea Market's amazing, but it is amazing. But those are individual stores and businesses. You don't walk into this open air place and stall after stall after stall of all kinds of things, right? Okay. Tripe. Okay. Tripe. Okay. Ugh, go into that. Well, I'll go into that. I'm going to have a gl- I'm going to have a sip of wine right now. Okay. Calm us down here. <laughs> I don't like meat. I don't even like talking about meat, but he does. I do. <laughs> Certain types of meat. Okay. So the ground floor, again, is this amazing concoction of meat, fish, produce, and other staples that they're both basically selling to the local clientele. And the upstairs food court, that's the place that's open. And it's open till late in the open evening. Open to sit and eat. Yes, to sit and eat. And it's open till late in the evening. Unfortunately, Florence has been overrun with tourism which is why we're going in the off-season. Off-season. Off Off-off-season. Uh, well, I was going to go see Santa Claus. and um, Papa Noel. We're go Isn't there. that cute? That's pa- what they call him, Papa, Papa, Papa no- Noel. Papa Noel. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can't just get something and take it out and sit anywhere. I mean, that all has changed in Florence and Rome. You can't just sit around because it got to be Overrun with tourists, overrun with trash. People didn't do anything with their trash and they've had to cut it down. So if you got something in the market, you would go outside and you can't sit. You've got to find another place because if you do sit and the... um, Carabinieri, polizia. Yes. Come after you. You will get fined. You're going to get a big fine. Yeah. It's It's very sad. I'm very, very sorry to share this, but... The amount of tourism has overrun the city and the garbage, and they they are sad about the appearance of the city with that aftermath. No more sitting on the steps to eat your panino that you got in the Mercato Centrale. So you have to sit in a designated area, but still, it's awesome. You can get the most amazing food there. You can eat it there for lunch or whatnot. Take it home if you're staying in a hotel or Airbnb. So it's a brilliant place to go and look regardless whether you buy something or not. And there's something in the central market that you will not see in a lot of places because the Italians like to eat every, they have a history of eating every single bit of the animal <laughs> and tripe, which is cow's stomach. Right? I know. Okay. I know. All right. That is very traditional there and has been eaten. You know, you could have seen Michelangelo. Going out and getting a tripe sandwich. You know, <laughs> Panino di tripe. It's pen- pronounced tripe. Well, it's, it's yeah, but it's not going to be a panino because they've got some sauce on it. Okay, right? whatever. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, this was, pr- this tripe, which there's a whole section of the market there, 
also in another area we'll talk about later. There's a whole section about tripe and offal and all the other things that happen um, because they've been they've been butchering these animals for obviously centuries. And oh, correct. So yeah, the yeah. Ponte Vecchio, the oldest bridge or the most famous bridge, they're all old, but the most famous bridge in Firenze is called Ponte Vecchio, which means the old bridge. So obviously, there's a few other bridges that are newer. So Ponte Vecchio in its day in the Renaissance, well, kind of pre-Renaissance, had been where all the butchers that were on the other side of the Arno, like in the more pastoral areas, would come and bring their meats. And Mm -hmm. they, uh, what do you call it? When you um, cut up meat. Butcher. Butcher. When you carve, butcher your meat, whatever you you do. Same thing you do to vegetables. Anyway, the butchers would bring their animal parts to their stall on Ponte Vecchio and do their butchering and carving there. And then they would throw over the odd bits that they didn't want into the river. And it became gross and dirty and smelly and attracted flies. And so Cosimo Medici, of course, said, "Okay, basta, enough of this. This is ugly. This is a bad reflection on our beautiful city. So, via, go, go. You're gone. No more butchers on Ponte Vecchio. And he declared that he wanted beauty instead of blood and guts. So, guess what beauty was? Um, gold? Gold jewelry. Wow. So, all of Ponte Vecchio now, since Cosimo Medici in the, I don't know, 1480 or mid-Renaissance said, that's it. Ponte Vecchio will be a thing of beauty, and now there's only gold sold there. Interesting <laughs> tidbit. All those little parts they threw over, there, were, there weren't many because they did eat a lot of the cow, and they provided a lot of protein. I think all countries in those days did that. Yeah, well, they had to. And they provided a lot of protein for the working classes, for the people that were working day in and day out. So anyway, you can also get, besides tripe, and uh, there you can get Beef that's stewed and pork that's stewed with herbs. There's a lot of good food in there for the carnivores. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) All kinds of cheeses and vegetables and pasta. Zucchini. My personal favorite. But let's talk about vino. The Tuscan grape that makes all the wine is called Sangiovese. The name San Giovese means the blood of Jove. Sangue is blood. Jove is the god of sky and thunder. So these San Giovese grapes that make this wine are thus. Brunello di Montalcino. Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, which is what we're drinking right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that name, Vino Nobile. <laughs> it's a noble wine. Yes, for noble people. <laughs> yeah. And then... There's Rosso di Montepulciano, and Rosso just means red. So those are the basic wines that make other than Chianti. And Chianti is made from 100%, the best Chianti, is made from 100% Sangiovese grapes. Now, you forgot one, which I'm going to go into, because we can't afford it, but I know about it. And that's the Super Tuscans. Oh, right. The Super Tuscans. That's like super yachts now. What, what a, <laughs> you know about them, but you can't afford them. Right. But it's like a mortgage payment for a bottle of wine. <laughs> and I'm very happy with Brunello being the top of my ladder. Right. So 
Florentines are very particular with their Chiantes, and they insist you only drink a Chiante with your Bisteca Fiorentina that Tom mentioned before. However, I want to tell a quick little side story. The first time Tom went to Florence, we went up to Piazza Mich- Piazzale Michelangelo and that we described in the first episode on Firenze. And we walked back down, back across the Arno, going to stay, in, uh, going back to our place where we we're staying. And we just took this little side street, which I so wish I could remember and find this place again. But believe me, I looked all over Google Earth, Google Maps. I tried to find this restaurant, but I could not. Anyway, so we walked by this like just idyllic looking Fiorentine restaurant. And I was like, oh, but of course they're closed mid-afternoon because all Italian restaurants are closed. It, unlike America, they don't stay open except for their specific hours. So we walked by in the afternoon, peeped in, looked, and there was someone working in there. So I walked in and in my, which wasn't, perfect Italian at the time because I had been out of Italy for maybe 10 years. So I wasn't speaking perfectly, but he thought it was Karina. He thought it was cute. I was like, oh, hi, do you happen to have a table for two tonight? This is his, Tommaso's, first day in Florence. And he's like, <gasps> certo, abbiamo una tavola. Yes, we have a table. Come at nine. So we showed up at nine o'clock, the average normal nice hour to go to dinner. And we walk through this jam-packed restaurant, but with all locals. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. There wasn't a single foreigner in there. And I thought, oh, perfect. We found just the, the best spot. So he leads us to this, past the main dining room, into this kind of like an alcove. It wasn't its own room, but it was a three-walled wine cellar. With, all, with beautiful stonework and all oh, the wine. And all the wine in these like stone walls. It We were like, oh my God, how'd we get so lucky? Maybe because we just got the right guy at the right moment. And I asked in my, you know, little way. And so there you had it. We had, biste- you had Bisteca Fiorentina, mm-hmm. but because it was a treat, we ordered Brunello di Montalcino. Mm-hmm. So you did not order the Chianti like what is the rule in right. Firenze. Right. We broke the rule. He didn't mind. There, there was no side eye. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was an amazing dare. I, I hope, I'm going to go back on Google Maps. I'm going to find that place. That was like, we. Had, this is the room for the nice couple with the guy that's never been here. Right. We'll put his first back. time. His first time. Going to impress him. And, and he did. And he did. It yes. was amazing. But anyway, back to the wine. So our personal favorite, as you just now know, is Brunello. And luckily, we have a friend, a good, good friend named Mickey. Ciao, Mickey and Birte and all the girls. Um, we have a friend named Mickey who lives in Chernobyl. On Lake Como that we have described in several episodes as our my favorite, personal favorite village in all of Italy. Anyway, so our friend Mickey made an annual pilgrimage down to a little vineyard, personal vintner south of Firenze every single year in the spring with a buddy of his from Chernobyl. And they rent, because they only had normal cars, and they rented those funny, I don't know if you remember seeing them, Tom, but 
these funny little trucks that are like have a really small cab and then this oversized big back that's open. They're like just ridiculous looking. And they rented them every single year because those cabs, those trucks took the least amount of gas and carried the most amount of wine. Yes. (laughs) So they went every year to the same vinter, this small, small little family vineyard, and they filled up the back of these funny trucks with as many bottles of these big dark green glass demijohns that they could fit in there. So a demijohn is the English word, but the real word is damejane, which is actually Corsican. But those are those glass bottles. They pour the wine straight from the barrels into these demijohns. Yeah, and they hold several gallons. Yes, but Mickey somehow found the largest ones ever. Of course he would. Anyway, so then they'd stay there for a night with the vinter, with the, with the vineyard owner and have a lot of Brunello. Then they'd ha- get back in the funny little truck and drive back home up on the top of the hill in Chernobyl where they live. Then they'd get all the friends and neighbors to get together for three or four days and everyone bottled and corked the wine from the Demijohn. It was a hilltop effort because they all knew they were going to be the lucky recipients of drinking that Brunello a couple of years later. But then funny enough, Tom and I made our annual pilgrimage every April, May, late I, April, early May. I wouldn't May. say that's funny. I said it was well planned. Right? Because we arrived there like two or three days after they finished all the bottling and corking, which is hard. It's tiring work. And so by the time we arrived for our you know week-long visit, before we went somewhere else, they'd say, oh, Kim and Tomas are here. Let's have a little celebration. So they would open the Brunello da Montalcino that they had purchased like three or four years earlier. So it had aged in his cellar of his ancient stone home. And we got to drink that. And I want to say that one of the, <gasps> so good. One of the times we were there and he was particularly enthralled with that uh, that that year's yes. Brunello. That and then the age. next year was like horrible. I couldn't yeah, drink yeah. it. But I just want to say we got there, flew into um, Lenate. We went up to Mickey's. We got to Mickey's and it was late morning. I think I slept for an hour and a half. We got up and had lunch and he uncorked a bottle. <laughs> and then he uncorked <laughs> another bottle. And it, we drank all day while we talked. Until the evening. Until the evening. On their amazing terrazzo yeah, yeah. overlooking Villa d'Este. And then it was like, Two two o'clock in the morning. We went to bed. No, no. Oh. And Beata said, <laughs> oh, right. and Beata said Beer, coffee? <laughs> it's not like you drink too, drink too much. It's just so delicious and enjoyable. You can drink it all day like we did. Like we did. And feel fine. I was amazed that day. I know, right? I was amazed. Anyway, oh my God, we love Brunello. Now, speaking of wine, another funny tradition, I think is funny, is that the Florentines, especially Fiorentini, not necessarily all all of Italy, but they have a uh, tradition called Vin Santo. It's an after-dinner wine. Now, let me just summarize everything we've talked about before. You can go somewhere and have an aperitivo, which is a cocktail, like a Negroni or a... Or a um, Aperol spritz before your dinner and a little salty snack. That's an aperitivo. Then you go to dinner and you have your 
antipasto or your primo, and that's when you start to have your wine. Then you have your secondo, where you have another wine. And then you have your dessert with an espresso. And then they're telling you that you need a Vinsanto as a digestivo. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that work? At Because if you go to dinner at, at nine, which is the normal hour, mm-hmm. 10 is the more like hip hour in a restaurant. So let's say you're finishing dinner at midnight and then they want you to have a digestivo, which is more wine. And and digestivos can be uh, from white grapes or the Sangiovese red grape. They can be, they can be sweet. They can be dry. They can be anything, but it's another thing of wine. So I'm convinced that the reason for a digestivo is primarily to prolong that long dinner to start with. Because you know why? It's all about conversation. And here's my take on Italian dinners. They talk fast and they eat slow. And the next thing you know, it's like three or four hours and you've had the best time and it took forever. You're not overly full because you didn't jam it down. And then you finish with a digestivo. (laughs) I think it's really funny, but that's what they do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to a few little neighborhoods of Firenze that you can enjoy outside of the city center. So one is called Oltrano, and that's a funny word because the river in Florence is called the Arno. So Oltra means the other. So in this case, the other side. So Oltrano means the other side of the Arno River. So that is where the incredible Palazzo Pitti is. And that's what the Medici purchased, you know, for late 1400s, I guess, as their private residence. But the irony is it was built by a banker named Luca Pitti. And he despised the Medici so much that he wanted to build the largest private residence ever. And he did. And then later they bought it. (laughs) (laughs) It was the largest private residence at the time at 32,000 square meters. And I did the math there. And you know how bad I am at math. (laughs) 344,000 square feet. It's a palace, but still, like, what's Buckingham Palace? Who knows? Like, it's crazy large. How many closets? I didn't find that out. Okay. But anyway, I've been in it, but it's now a museum, and they have all kinds of Renaissance art, and you can see the private apartments from when the Medici and Luca Pitti himself lived there. So it's totally worth visiting to get a feel for what it was like to live in a 344,000 square foot palazzo. And behind the palazzo is the Giardini Boboli. And that is the Boboli Gardens, as they're called. And the Medici designed them and they they had them built and designed, but different. And they turned out to be kind of like a standard for the average show-off type of garden throughout Europe and even England. Because you know how England's gardens are so amazing, but mm-hmm. a little free form and mm-hmm. just so organic. The English big stately homes started copying this type of terrace geometric stately garden. And that's thanks to the Medici and the Boboli Garden. Hmm. Anyway, it's definitely worth walking around. The Palazzo Pitti is amazing. And remember in New York, we'd always go to Bar Pitti? Yes. In uh, in Soho, uh, West West Village? On 6th Ave. Right. And 
we'd have we'd tell friends to meet us at Bar Pitti's, our favorite Italian, and they'd be walking around. They couldn't find it because in the end, they're looking for Bar Pitti, P-E-T-E-Y. Remember that? I'm like, no, like Pitti Palace in right. Firenze. Right. <laughs> so that's a little tidbit for all of you going to New York or in New York who don't know oh, about yes, it. Bar Pitti. Bar Pitti is amazing. The mm-hmm. owner is there a lot and he's out front and... Uh, he recognizes you every time. He that man knows a face like no other, and he knew you because you well, went as I would speak sp- Italian. Italian. But yeah, we've had uh, we've had some great evenings there, and it's inexpensive compared to the rest of New it's York. It's inexpensive. Bar Pitti, and I got to oh yeah yeah yeah, I got to watch Funky Johnson there. Yes, one of the Bond girls. That yeah. was one of his highlights. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, back to a couple other uh, areas in Oltrano. Santo Spirito is a piazza and one of my favorite churches in all of Firenze. Why? Because it was designed by our friend Filippo Brunelleschi. And if you listen to the first episode, Filippo Brunelleschi was responsible for building the dome, uh, the the dome of the Duomo, responsible for how all of engineering and construction basically exists to this day. The Funny part about Santo Spirito, La Chiesa, it's not a Duomo, it's just a Chiesa, a church, is that it's so simple compared to the Duomo. The Duomo, the most ornate, amazing, beautiful thing, and then there's Santo Spirito. So here's a funny tidbit about it. He designed the church in 1428, yet 18 years later, after he designed it, the first columns were delivered to start the construction and 10 days after those columns were delivered, Brunelleschi died. Sad. Thank you for that, church lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of my new church lady moniker. I love that moniker. Thank you very much. Okay. Anyway, Santo Spirito is also a piazza and has a ton of little sweet local restaurants. Look for local Italians and you know it's going to be good. Another zona, another neighborhood of Firenze is called Fiesole. And they kind of blur that pronunciation together, Fiesole. It's spelled F-I-E-S-O-L-E. It's only five kilometers from the center, three miles from the center of the city, but it's up high on a hill. So that's the incredible view of all those photos you see of Firenze. So that Fiesole has an amazing view of the entire city of Firenze, but it's also this little uh, relief from the busy city. It's kind of like a, a suburb, but right. it's an Etruscan suburb. Mm-hmm. They literally have Etruscan ruins of amphitheaters, foundations are scattered about. I mean, it is old. And then, of course, they have newer buildings from like 1500s. Right. Anyway, it's a quiet, sweet little place. You can take the bus for a local you know, trip to see what that's like, or you can drive or take a taxi, but there is no metro to Fiesole. In summary, Firenze, parte due. We hope we shared enough of the Cucina Italiana with you, Cucina Fiorentina, a few different neighborhoods to go to, where to walk around, what to do to get away from the crowded city center if you're there in the high season. It's an incredibly beautiful, historic city. The most important thing we discussed in this episode was the food. (laughs) And bistega alla Fiorentina. 
Well, we hope we discussed enough of the Cucina Fiorentina with you and the wine. And the wine. And where to go to get away from the crowded city center. And since we're on this path, our next few episodes will be on day trips, day trips around Tuscany. I took Tom on several. We've mm-hmm. had some amazing, amazing times. Not just in a Fiat Punto, though. We we upgraded. We had, yes. <laughs> we had a pretty sporty car. Once we had a Peugeot that broke down. But other than that, <laughs> so we'll do some day trips around Tuscany because it's diverse, but amazing. So that's it, Amiche Mie. Thank you very much for listening and sharing the love and please please give us a rating or a review anywhere you listen to your podcast so one last chin chin and thank you very much for listening ciao ciao and don't forget if you're interested in december the first two weeks in december going for a week to firenze and potentially bologna and a nice little some side trips and having a wonderful magical pre-christmas actually what a gift to give yourself, right? That's right. What a holiday present that would be. Yes. So get in touch. Get in touch. Okay. Ciao, ciao.